God given me words to speak to you that help you, strengthen you, and your families and your walk with him. It really is an incredible privilege, and uh, I feel lucky to be in this position. So having said that, uh, I have a few bulletin bloopers that I want to share with you this morning before we uh, get on to less serious things. Uh, so Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. Another bulletin blooper. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Uh, next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. And then as it applies to our current series on uh, building relationships that last, this uh, notice in another church, all these would never, they're not in our bulletins. These are other churches that are less capable than ours. So this, these don't come from our team. Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. This was horrible. So today we're going to start, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to continue on a, our series that we're in on relationships that last. Everybody that has a friendship, has a marriage, has a working relationship, uh, any kind of relationship in your life, which life is all about relationships. It's not about achievement or success. It's about the people in your life. Good relationships are heaven on earth. Bad relationships are hell on earth. They either bring tremendous joy or tremendous sorrow or somewhere in between where you just live in quiet desperation. And yet that is not what Jesus uh, came and died and rose from the dead for. He came to help us learn how to have life-giving friendships on the earth with one another and with God. And so we want to look at these things to help enhance and empower all of our relationships. Anybody interested? You want your relationships to go up a little bit? All right. Well, I have never found any topic that I've ever taught on that touches the human heart more deeply than the one we're going to continue on today. I started it a couple of weeks ago. We only got through the first point because uh, I, could, I could feel the tangible connection with all of us around this topic. And so we stopped on the first point, and we're going to continue on the next two points today. And then we're going to receive communion at the end of the service. And it's on the subject of honor. Honoring one another. And the reason that honor, being honored by people or dishonored by people, cuts us so deeply, touches us so deeply, is because it communicates what people think about us as it has to do with our intrinsic value as a human being. When you dishonor me, what you're saying is you see me as, uh, well, trash. When you honor me, it, it communicates to me that you value me. This is why it's so important to have honor in all of our relationships. And I want to say at the outset, again, I want to remind us that as I teach on honor and dishonor, that we don't go inward and we focus on how we have been dishonored because that makes you a victim. But rather, like Christ, who deserved the greatest honor and received the greatest dishonor, and yet he did not dishonor in return when he was dishonored, he committed himself to God who judges righteously, and he honored us with his death, with his life, and with his resurrection. And he continues to honor us today with his mercy and his forgiveness 
and his graciousness and his prayers for you and I. And he has called us to be the light of the world, which is that we are people who honor one another. Wouldn't you love to be in a church where you are honored, where honor was a culture in that church? How many of you like being in a church like that? Okay, well, let's go find one. All right, let's just all start searching today. Let's begin our search today. Let's compare notes and find that church or we can be that church. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 10 instructions to the church. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know, Jesus is always working every day to restore our honor. We were created with honor. The Bible says that. When we were created in the image of God, he said he crowned us, you, with glory and honor, his presence. Satan has started has, has worked from the very beginning to strip honor from one another. And the way he does that is through words, attitudes, and actions, one person to another. And that's why we want to flip it around and say we want to use our words, our attitudes, and our actions to honor those around us and being people of honor. Amen? You going with me? All right, so, will you say words, attitudes, and action? Come on, say it out loud. Words, attitude, and action. Say it again. Words, attitude, and actions. Your words, your attitude, and your actions are what transmits honor or dishonor to everyone around you. Last week we looked at words, and it was convicting enough that we decided we had had enough of that. So... We're not going to look at words again today, but life and death is in the power of your tongue. You know that old history of that old uh, um, children's rhyme that says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How absolutely untrue is that? My bone will heal, but the words you spoke into me are still rattling around on the inside of me and, and, and creating a script in my mind that I'm trying to recover from. So words of life, words of affirmation, words of honor can replace those negative words and restore the human soul. So the the Bible says that the tongue of the righteous is like silver. It adds life to those around them. So we want to be very, very careful with our words. But the second thing is our attitude. It's amazing how your attitude toward people can communicate honor or dishonor to them. Look at this truth. The lower the value we attach to a person, the easier we can justify dishonoring them by treating them with disrespect. So, let's say the color of your skin. For some who have racism in their heart, immediately by the color of your skin, they either have devalued you in their own attitude or increased the value of you in their own attitude. Therefore, That will follow with the way that they treat you. Isn't that true? Or your economic uh, status. Or your educational status. Or where you come from. Or what family you came from. Or what school you graduated from. Or you didn't graduate graduate from school. The way that we perceive one another precedes the way we treat one another. And the Bible is very harshly against these kind of attitudes. This is very interesting. Psychologists say one of the worst things you can do to a human being is to be dismissive or to ignore them. 
What this says is, psychologists say this is the worst mistreatment. It says that you aren't even worth the time it would take to insult you. <laughs> My son Elliot, by the way, thank you for praying for him last week. If you were here and you heard he got rushed to the emergency room and uh, they were able to diagnose it and remedy it. And it was, it was just an answer to prayer. It was an answer to big prayers. And I really appreciate that. Last night he was over our house with his dog, his little new puppy. And uh, when his puppy doesn't do right, he says, um, I'll spank the puppy and it doesn't make any difference to him. I'll take his toy away. It doesn't really make any difference to him. But if I ignore him, it drives him insane. And so, so, he, so the puppy was up on the couch and he wasn't supposed to. So Ellie said, watch. And Ellie just ignores him. Just kind of looked up like this. Just ignore him. And the puppy was looking at Elliot, going like this, going like this, trying to get his attention. Elliot would just look away. And the puppy's running around, just going crazy. He said, see, he can't handle it when I ignore him. That's worse punishment than if I were to spank him. It works on dogs. It works on human beings. Other ways that we, well, you know, this is, a, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sting you here for a minute. How many of you have a cell phone? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, when there's somebody else in the room with you, you're on your phone? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Half the church are just a bunch of liars. So we have another problem on our hands this morning, don't we? That is why it is so frustrating when you're with somebody and they're on their phone. Uh with my kids, they're just, and when we're in the car, they're not allowed to be on their phones. It's like this is uh, very, you know, we don't get a whole bunch of time together, and so this is our time. And they love that. So let me give you an example that was just, it just broke my heart. And look, we all get caught because the phones are addictive. I was bowling with my children, and there's, and then laying next to us, this boy, he was probably about eight years old. He, he rolled a strike, and he got that strike. You know what that feels like. And he's jumping up and down, and he turns around to run up to his mom. Mom, mom, I got a strike, mom. Did you see the strike? And she's sitting on the phone like this. He said, mom, mom, trying to get her attention. Mom, did you see what I did you see? And she's just looking on her phone, completely ignoring him, just looking on her phone, going like this. And I thought, oh. So I went up and slapped her and took her phone away. <laughs> You want us to call fire down in that lane and crisp, burn her to a crisp? If you know the Bible, that was one of the tactics that Jesus' disciples wanted to use. Other ways that are we dishonor one another with our attitudes are anger, sarcasm, unjust criticism, unhealthy comparisons, inconsistency, like being late. Okay, I'm going to lose about half of you. I'm sorry, but... When you're late to places, you're dishonoring the person that's been waiting for you because they changed their schedule and set their calendar to be there when you said you were going to be there and you're not there and they're sitting there and they're waiting around and waiting around and waiting around because your time is obviously more valuable than theirs. It communicates dishonor, which is why it makes them upset. I know that's none of you. We're talking about the church down the street. Jealousy, selfishness, envy, racism, favoritism. Look what James, the brother of Jesus, says about favoritism. And this has to do with the economic status and the way our attitudes toward other people. It's very ungodly. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? 
For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show by your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't that interesting? What I have found is when I've traveled around the world and gone to these third world countries and the underground church, I have found the poorest of the poor had the richest faith. In fact, the first time I went to Russia after the Iron Curtain came down and communism fell and we went and I, I met with the church there, their love for Jesus was like a deep, deep well. I went there to teach them about Jesus and inspire them. And I was completely blown away by their depth of love for Jesus. I felt about a dime deep spiritually. And I thought, I have nothing to teach these people about Jesus. They have a lot to teach me. See, the opposite of rejecting or dishonoring is to, be, is to receive them. We feel you are important to have something to offer. Doesn't everybody want to have that feeling in every relationship, in every community, the business that you work in, the family that you're in, the church that you're in, the sports team that you're on. Everybody wants to feel like they belong there and then they have something to offer. That's called honor. God did this with us, family. To receive means to take hold. This is a beautiful definition. To receive means to take hold of us. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what God did. God, who has the most value in the universe, came to those of us who had the least value in the universe, and he took hold of us. And he elevated us out of our sin through the salvation that came through his son, and he gave us enormous, eternal honor when we didn't deserve it. And we now are one with him, and he wants us to do the same with one another. Look what uh, Paul says in the book to the Philippian church. Do not uh, do nothing. This is all still about attitude. We're about to get to action. So it's going to get worse. So just hang on. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Wow. Wow. I have to stop here for a second. I watched a uh, documentary this week on an uh, 18-year-old kid who was, a, who was an outstanding athlete who got cancer, and they had to cut off one of his legs. And this was in 1980-81. He was in Canada. And so he got a prosthetic leg, which was just a wooden leg. It was just, I mean, it was, it was not like the prosthetic legs that you can get today that are just amazing. And while he was in the hospital, he obviously went into depression and he felt sorry for himself. And, of course, he thought about suicide because his life is over. But he saw all these kids in the hospital who were dying all around him of cancer. It so moved him that he decided to run across Canada over 5,000 miles in an effort to raise awareness for cancer. So as he's running, he's going through these towns, and there's no media coverage. Nobody knew who he was. 
and his, his best friend drove in a van behind him. And they lived in a van for months as he ran 5,000 miles. And it was just brutal. And over time, he got more and more notoriety and more and more notoriety and more and more notoriety. And all of a sudden, there were crowds. Every town he would go into, there were just crowds. And he, became, he started becoming famous. And, he got in, and they would interview him and talk about how amazing you are and how phenomenal you are and how sacrificial you are. And he, he got really uncomfortable and he said, this is not about me. I'm not better than anybody else. This is about those who are suffering with cancer. This is about the least of these. These are about these children who are dying of cancer. This isn't about me. This is about them. When I saw that speech, it just blew me away. Because how many of us just take the glory? We receive the affirmation. We receive the fame. We just, you know, we crave that for our self-worth. We like the honor. We like the praise. We like the affirmation. Jesus said, I did not come to be honored. He says, you honor one another, meaning that you live for one another's praises. He said, I come to live for the praise of the Father and Him alone. And He came and He served us with His life, His death, of His resurrection. And He says, so be like me. Be one who honors others. He didn't make it all the way across Canada. He made it about three-quarters of the way. The cancer returned in his lungs, and he died. After his death, his life was so inspirational that they started doing telethons to raise money for awareness in his name, and they raised over $650 million. From that hospital bed where he had his leg amputated in depression and self-pity all the way to sacrificing himself for the benefit of others. Now, that's a beautiful life, isn't it? So he says, do not merely look out for your own interests, your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. You know, when you think about it, um, all the Ten Commandments is about honor. God gave us ten commandments, and all of them are about honoring. Have no other gods before me. In other words, have no other lovers. You dishonor me when you have other gods. Don't make any images, the second commandment, that try to represent me. It devalues me. I'm greater than any image you could ever create. Like Jesus. He's always a blonde-haired, blue-eyed British person. That's just, that's just really weird, isn't it? Right? Because he was Jewish. Which means he had olive skin and dark hair, and he's probably kind of short, right? It didn't, and he didn't have a British accent. Anyway, I, I digress. Don't use God's name in vain. How would you like your name to be used as a curse word? It dishonors and devalues the holiness of God's name when we use it as a curse word. Honoring yourself, taking a Sabbath, treating yourself with honor. Your body, your soul, your mind, and restoration. All the Ten Commandments are about honor. Honor your parents. That's an obvious one. Uh, don't take innocent life. That's about honoring life. Honor your spouse. Don't commit adultery. When you commit adultery, you have devalued your spouse by saying, I don't think enough of you to keep our marriage uh, pure and make you my only one. Honor other people's possessions. Don't covet other people's stuff. Valuing their stuff over them as a human being. Uh, honor others' reputations. The Bible says in one of the Ten Commandments is don't uh, lie and give false testimony about somebody else because you destroy their reputation and you ruin their life when you do that. So you're dishonoring them. Honor your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. 
because you dishonor them. You're saying, I would rather have your stuff than you have it because I really don't value you much. I'd really like to have your wife or your donkey or your car or whatever area of the world you live in, whatever the century you live in. Now, these attitudes of dishonor or honor then lead to our actions. So those, that, was, that whole category was just the way we think about one another. I pray this week that as you're going through life, that this message is cutting you deep into the heart so that the next time you see somebody who has a beat-up car when you have a nice car, doesn't have a degree and you have a degree after your name, has a different color skin than you do, is in a different economic status, doesn't have nice clothes, that when you look at them, you catch yourself thinking that you're superior. I remember when I was so poor, I couldn't pay attention. I, I literally, I, was, I couldn't pay my rent. I was, I was in business and we were not making money. And my roommate was paying our rent for us. My brother and I were living together and our roommate was paying our rent for us and we could not pay our rent. We didn't know where our next dollar was coming from. I remember when uh, it was just amazing how God provided, but man, we were stretched. I remember one time I, I, was, I was on straight commission, and so it's, you know, sink or swim. And I remember my paycheck would come in. It came in one time, and my brother walked into the garage. I was in there playing the drums, just trying to release some stress. That's how I do that. And he said, hey, your uh, commission check came in. I said, great, how much was it? And he told me how much it was. And he said, but you owe this much for rent. You owe this much for food. You owe this much for this and this and this and this. And he said, you have $5 left over. And I said, oh, I wonder what that's for. And he walks out and he comes back in and says, you owe me $5 for trash pickup. So once again, I was zeroed out. I mean, we were so broke, we could not, we could not think straight. Then, once we started tithing, I started learning about tithing and giving to the kingdom of God. God completely turned it around, and we prospered. I mean, I was the top salesman in the nation. I was on TV. I was in magazines that went around the world. I mean, it was a complete reversal, but it was totally God, because I'd already proved how, how unsuccessful I was on my own. God raised us up. And then I had more money than I needed to do, to do with as a 24-, 25-year-old single guy here in San Diego, and I remember running into somebody who could not come up with a hundred dollars. And this thought crossed my mind. How pathetic is that? I could not believe my attitude toward that person. It wasn't but a year earlier I couldn't come up with a hundred dollars. It's amazing how we can equate our self worth with our net worth. That's the danger of money. Money's not evil. We can be. It's just amazing how we think living in a gated community makes us more valuable than a person that lives in the hood. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Boom. So now that leads us into actions. You guys ready for some action steps? All right, here we go. I'm going to go quickly. Your actions. Those around you are very perceptive. They can tell by your actions if you value your job, your car, your hobbies, your friends, your TV more than them, more than you value them. That's why I say thank God for DVR. I tell you what, once DVR came out or, you know, be on a pause live TV, my Christian character skyrocketed. My wife needs my attention. Honey, you're always more valuable than me, than TV. Absolutely, I'll give you my 100% undivided attention right now. 
Isn't that amazing how your Christian character just just grew leaps and bounds once DVR was invented? Because before DVR, you know, of course, I don't know why this is, and forgive me, wives, for saying this to you but or about you, but it's just so weird how you can watch an entire football game. It comes down to the last three seconds. If they make this 40-yard field goal, they win the Super Bowl. And she hasn't bothered me. Well, this isn't about us. She hasn't bothered you. The entire football game. But right at that moment, she needs a diaper changed. Right? It's just so weird how it happens right at that moment. Which is why God invented the DVR. It has saved a lot of marriages. So let's go to the husbands and wives since I'm on that topic. Now, Hope wasn't in here. Uh, Hope's not in here this morning. She's serving in the children's church. And knowing that she wasn't here, I decided to do this test on us last night. Uh, we were going on a date last night. She's been putting on her makeup. So I sat in the bedroom and I said, honey, let's take this husband and wife test according to the word of God. Let's see how we do. I said, you first. So I read this scripture to her. And I chose the Amplified. If you know much about the translations of the Bible, the Amplified throws a few extra words in there. Let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him. And I told her, I said, now you need to grade yourself, honey, as I'm reading this. She notices him. Okay. Regards him. All right. Honors him. Prefers him. Venerates him. That's like, like that word is like really close to worship esteems him, and she defers to him, praises him, and loves him, and admires him. And if all that wasn't over the top enough, the last word, exceedingly. (laughs) He's taking a picture of it. That's awesome. I said, honey. I said, honey, how do you think you're doing? She said, you lost me at venerate. <laughs> she said, that's when it just started getting too weird for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then I said, okay, now it's my turn. Uh, I said, in the same way, you husbands must give honor, give honor, which means you can take honor. Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. And she said, that's all we get. That's, you get that whole, that other verse you read is all you, I said, honey, did you see this last part? Uh, understanding? Did you, that's enough for the guy right there. <laughs> Boom. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Look, women, I think you are the most beautiful creatures on the planet. In fact, you're the crown of creation. God saved the best for last. Yeah, you are. You are. And the Bible says that that a virtuous wife is the crown of her husband. But she that causes shame is rottenness in his bones. But we won't worry about that second part. The, The wife is the crown of her husband. The crown of creation. But we just don't understand you. But we love you and we're working at it. Okay, so you are, you're a deep well of God's creative makeup. 
And you know what else you get? I didn't put it in here. I didn't finish this verse because I didn't want to be too brutal on us guys, but I'll just say it. The Bible says if we don't do this, if we don't honor our wives and we don't live with them with understanding and treat them as a joint heir to the grace of life. You know what God says? Your dad, ladies, your daddy in heaven. He says he won't answer our prayers. Your, your, yes, he ignores us like the puppy. That's right. Oh, oh, you can be as religious as you want to be. Oh, Father in heaven, holy is your name. He's going. He said, why are my prayers getting answered? You see the way you're treating my daughter? Are you serious? That's what that scripture means. Okay, moving on. Here's some practical steps. There's many ways to honor her, make her feel secure. And you have to ask her what that means. Otherwise, you're just going to keep whiffing, striking out of the plate. Listen to her, not just her words, but her heart. Listening adds value because you're communicating that what they are saying is worth your time and understanding. Remember before she she said she'd marry you? You remember that? Remember how you listened to every word? You looked deep into her eyes. Remember that? Oh, I I understand you. Let me repeat to make sure I got what you just said to me, because I really want to understand. You remember those days? Okay. Help out around the house. Recognize her burden and find out little ways to lift the load. Help her succeed in what God has called her to be and to do. Compliment her in private and in public. You know, I found one of the most devastating things to a marriage is when one of the spouses has felt dishonored in private. And so in public, they degrade their spouse. And they, they criticize and they speak negatively of and make snide side comments about their spouse in public. I, ha- I have someone who's close to me that I told the person, I, if you're going to cut your husband down in front of me, I don't want to talk to you. And boy, I tell you what, that doesn't go over well. But it's dishonoring. And I don't want to be part of that dishonor. Clearly, you don't feel like you're being honored in your marriage, but this is not the way to process it. It's very dishonoring. Make sure she is number one. Uh, we had a missionary visit recently, and, and uh, he, uh, I asked him if we could go out to uh, lunch. And uh, now a missionary, boy, they are, they are, they are advancing the gospel. This, this, this missionary has lived for 20 years in a third world country, raising, had four children born there and raised there. And uh, then they, they just recently moved back to the United States. And so he was in town, and we got together at Starbucks. And we were meeting, and we were talking about missions. We were talking about discipleship, talking about reaching the world for the gospel. And then um, I had to go. And so um, it was a wonderful conversation about the gospel. But as we left, I felt in my gut there was something not right. And I felt like it was something about his marriage. And I left Starbucks, and I thought, oh, man, I can't, I can't shake this. i got to get back to him. And so I, I had a red light, another red light, another red light, trying to circle around. I thought, oh, he's gone. I pulled into the Starbucks. Fortunately, he had to go in and go to the restroom, so he hadn't left yet. He comes out. I rolled down my window. I said, hey, brother, do you have, a, just a, do you have another few more minutes? He said, yeah. I said, you hungry? Yeah. I said, let me take you to uh, Rubio's. We'll get some tacos. He said, great. So we got to Rubio's. I said, so uh, tell me about your marriage. How's that going? And his head just dropped. He said, it's, it's really rough. He said, you know, a couple years before we left the mission field, my wife just started going downhill. 
and uh, she's gone. She's she's depressed and unhappy. And now that I'm back and I have this new position, you know, she's still. I mean, it's just really difficult. I said, so, uh, how much time do you spend with her? He said, oh, well, you know, that's when it came out, right? You, so you're at work all day, and then you come home, and you got the kids, and then he said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really. I said, okay, I'm going to give you an assignment. When you get back home, every day after work, you come home, and after you put the kids down, you have one hour alone with your wife. So will you, will you do that? And he said, yeah. I said, do you think that would mean a lot to her? He said, man, that would mean so much to her. I just know her. I know that would. Now you think, you know, guys are Neanderthals, ladies. I'm sorry. I mean, it didn't take a rocket scientist to get that advice, right? That's just kind of like a no-brainer. So he emails me about two weeks after he got back, and he was telling me about ministry and all this kind of stuff, and it's all going great, blah, 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 blah. Didn't say anything about our assignment. So I emailed him back and said, hello. So how's that going with your wife? Are you spending that time with your wife? And he said, uh, uh, well, I did a couple times, but, um, nah, not really, not so much. I said, uh, okay, well, you said you were going to do it. So how about you do it? And he emailed me back and he said, how do you stay consistent spending time with your wife? Like it's some mystery. I emailed back and said, how consistent are you at work? He emailed back and said, dang, (laughs) right? He said, I need somebody in my life like this that holds me accountable. So you see, guys can be consistent at work and, and please the boss and sacrifice and stay late. But when it comes to the wife, a significant relationship, they become devalued. And listen, it can go the other way around, moms. With the kids, the husband is to be number one, not the children, not intercession, not ministry, Not your friends on Facebook. Your husbands are to be number one. Amen? So there are many ways to honor him. Here we go. Find what you admire about him and tell him often in private and in public. Ladies, I'm going to tell you something. Sex aside. This right here. Find what you honor about. Find what you admire about your husband. I know you can. Find it. Find what you admire about your husband. As long as it takes, find it and tell him often in private and in public. Ladies, I'm going to tell you something. That honeydew list, it'll be done in a day. Guys want to be admired and honored by their wives. Guys do not like to fail. Number one, bottom line, that's it. We do not like to fail at work. We don't like to fail in our marriages. We don't like to fail in our parenting. We don't like to fail at video games. We don't like to fail at anything. So the more that you tell us how amazing we are, the more stuff you're going to get done around the house and whatever else you want. I promise you, it really is the ticket. And then the other thing. All right, so know and show his love language. Help him succeed in what God has called him to be and to do. Honor his leadership and let your children see you honoring their father's leadership. And make sure he's number one. And ladies, you actually get a scripture that tells you you have to do this. Ready? If you are a wife, I know this is going to be complicated. It's kind of vague, but let me just read it and then we'll discern it. We'll discern it together. If you are a wife, you must put your husband. Say it out loud, ladies. (laughs) The ladies say first and the guys say boom. 
Parents toward children. Fathers, do not exasperate, discourage, make them feel hopeless. Your children, by coming down hard on them, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Dishonoring children can crush them. Catch your children doing something right and tell them often. I know children need correction so often. They're like little wild plants in the garden. You've got to put a stake and wrap it around them and like make sure they don't go all over the place. They're going to go all over the place. They're going to make some of the dumbest mistakes. It just happens. They're going to say dumb things, do dumb things, make dumb choices, and we're correct, 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 because we want them to succeed. And yet all the time we're crushing them. Because every human being needs nine affirmations for one correction. I think we flip it. So while they're breaking the china and while they're, you know, ruining certain things and breaking things and doing dumb things like deleting all the stuff off your hard drive or downloading viruses onto your computer, you've got to find things they're doing right. Ask them, uh, uh, let them in on some decision making. This is really important. This shows that you believe they have the internal resources capable of making quality choices. Speak well of them privately and publicly. Spend time with them and just listen to them. This says, there's nothing that says I value you more than just listening to them. And let me tell you something. I've got three daughters. I don't know why they have a department in junior high school called the drama department. That's just, that's redundant, isn't it? I I pick them up in the car, and if I'm quiet long enough, they'll start talking. If you pick them up and you say, how was school? They'll just shut down. I mean, they've been to school all day. They've been pressured all day. There's been an overload. And you pick them up and you say, so how was school? And they don't talk to you. And then you get mad and you think that they're rejecting you and they don't want to share what's going on. That's not what's going on. They just need some breathing space. Let them pick the music on the channel, no matter how ungodly it is. Crank it up. Let them enjoy it. Not, not too ungodly. You know what I'm saying. If it's not Caleb, don't freak out. <laughs> let, them, let them listen to some of their music. Crank it up. Be a cool mom. Be a cool dad. Don't freak out. They're not going to become a Satan worshiper because it's not K-love all the time. And after a while, if you're quiet enough, they'll just start talking. And then, dear God, you can't get them to shut up. I mean, they tell about what Bobby and Susie were talking about and how Bobby loved Susie. And then you kiss Charlie and Charlie's kissing this and this person did that and that person did this and this. I got three. But just by listening, they feel honored and that you actually care about their life when you really don't. All right, so. <laughs> children toward parents. Children, if you're in here today and a youth stayed in, whatever, I'll be really quick with this because we've got to fly and this, will be, this won't connect with much, mo- very many people because you're not children listening. But children, do what your parents tell you for what is right. This is right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment attached with the promise, namely, you won't die a short, horrible death. Or the way this says it, so you will live well and have a long life. Children who bring disgrace rob their father and chase their mother away. Proverbs 19.26. So how do you honor your mom and dad? Do what they say the first time they say it. My children have friends come over. And uh, I had a, he had a friend come over recently and he uh, told him, okay, it's time to go. You got to get out of the pool. Can I get on the diving board one more time? Okay, sure. First time he's been to our house, gets on the diving board. I turn around. He's running around to get on it again. He's about to jump. And I said, hey, yo, Chris. Ah. 
How many times did I say you could do that? Uh, 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 one. Then why would you do it twice? Uh, 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 can I just jump in? No, you can't. Come on, let's go. So he leaves. This weekend, he came back over for the second time. I said, hey, Chris, how you doing? He on his bike, stopped him in the driveway. I said, hey, Chris, let me tell you how we run around here. The way we roll is when we tell you to do something the first time, that's when you do it. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be able to come over. But as long as you do that, man, you can come over here as much as you want. It'll be awesome, okay? All right, high five, yeah. Okay, that was it. He did everything I said the first time I said it all day long. Why? It's called honor. We cannot allow our children. I might step in it, but yesterday, boy, my wife was telling me about. Okay, let me just say, don't afflict the rest of society on us with your kids if you're not disciplining them. <laughs> Discipline is love. Uh, I'm going to jump to citizens, toward government leaders, and this will probably be the death blow to us all. Show proper respect to everyone, the Bible says. Love the brotherhood of, of believers. Fear God and honor the president or the king if you're in a monarchy. Now, you know who wrote this? Peter. Paul said the same thing. Do you know who was king when Peter said, honor the king? Nero, who was the most wicked king probably in the history of the world. He burned down 75% of Rome purposely because he wanted to rebuild it. When everybody was obviously seriously, you know, had an issue with that, he decided to blame it on the Christians. And so he turned all of society on the Christians, dressed them in old rags, and had them eaten by dogs, ripped and torn apart. At nighttime, he had them impaled on stakes and set them on fire as human torches and crucified many of them. Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified. And yet Peter said, Christians, honor the king. Honor the president. Honor your boss. Honor the security guard at the mall. Honor your coaches. Honor your parents. Honor all authority because the Bible says all authority is from God. So let me tell you a secret. And this is a whole other series on its own, but we're not going to get into it today. When you dishonor authority, you literally are dishonoring God. Because all authority comes from God. That's what the Bible says. That's why they say honor authority so that it can be peaceful in your life. You harm yourself when you dishonor authority. You bring judgment on yourself. You cut off the supply and the resources of heaven because everything flows through authority. Can everybody say, ouch? All right, moving on. Church life. Church life. Here we go. Don't be harsh or impatient with an older man. Talk to him as you would your own father and to the younger men as your brothers. Reverently honor an older woman as you would honor your mother and younger younger women as sisters with all Purity. First Timothy says, let the elders who perform the duties of their office, which is spiritual leadership in your church, be considered worthy of, I underlined this for you just in case you missed it, doubly worthy of honor. Especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. Listen to no accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by the testimony of two or three gossipers. witnesses please don't partake in destroying your church we honor leadership by following them following them 
speaking well of leadership and encouraging them, praying for them daily. And then to the leadership, look at this. To the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. This is how we honor you. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. This is about attitude. As God's, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. One of my favorite phrases is people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. I believe people want to be led. They just want to be led well. So how can we do this? As leadership, we need to remember that our call is to serve, not to be served. We're to pray for the church daily, teach and lead the very best we can, value the congregation's input, don't hold a church member's past against them. Nobody likes being freeze-framed. Nobody's the same last week as they were this today, last year is today, five years ago is today. Jesus is working on all of us, right? And then honor widows who are truly widows. Okay, I want to close with this. And then we're going to receive communion. And the way we're going to do communion today is, um, has this been fun? Have you guys enjoyed this today? Isn't this great? Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, come down the aisles for communion. And you're going to go this way. Uh, and we have the uh, communion elements here. And then we're going to have prayer teams, a couple teams stationed here, a couple teams stationed over here. And uh, when we come down to receive communion, you can receive communion and then you can come back and you can worship. Josh and the team will be up here in a few minutes and they're going to be leading worship. You can stay and worship and connect or you can go on out and have fellowship. We'll keep these front doors closed here for those who want to stay. And the reason we're going to receive communion this morning, besides the fact we're Christians, is because Jesus holds the greatest intrinsic value of any human being who's ever lived on the planet. And yet he allowed himself to be so sorely and describably dishonored. The things were said about him. They said he was demon possessed. They said he was illegitimate. They said he was a deceiver of the people, a blasphemer. They completely destroyed his reputation. The church excommunicated him. His best friends betrayed him. They spit in his face, slapped him, crammed a crown of thorns on him, mocked him, crucified him. Publicly naked. He received all of our dishonor because he loves us so much. And he did it so that he could begin to restore our honor. Jesus honors women more than any spiritual leader who has ever come before or since. Jesus has come to restore the honor of all human beings. We're all made in God's image. And when you come down here in a few minutes to receive communion, what you're saying to Jesus is thank you for receiving my dishonor. So that I can be a person who honors others. And you're no longer going to live for the honor of others. You're going to live for the honor of God. And the way that you return honor to God is the way that you honor one another. So.
I'm going to ask that you stand at this point. And Josh, will you come on up and... So I'm going to say uh, there was another point, another piece that's really important, but we'll get to it another day. There's two things I want to do here before we come down for communion, and these are really important, so please give me a, just a couple moments. Because it, this is for you to be able to connect with Christ in a very personal, intimate way. And to experience freedom in your own soul so you can be a giver and not a taker. There's two things that I want to talk about. One, something has happened in our society where people are so easily offended that they even have reduced it down to what are called microaggressions. This is just the opposite of what Jesus teaches us to do, which is love is not easily offended. I mean, Jesus had more than microaggressions against him. Right? And yet he didn't retaliate in, in, in response. He didn't give dishonor for dishonor. He didn't seek out revenge. He didn't say, the way you're treating me. He didn't do that. Because that's not who he was. That's not what he came for. I want to challenge all of us not to be people who are focused on how we have been dishonored. Our country is going that direction, and it is, it is, it is. You can't live that way. I mean, if the Bible says that love does not keep a record of wrongs. Our society has decided that the way we're now going to run our country and our world is to keep records of everybody's wrongs, and then we're going to retaliate. The Christian is the one who is to endure persecution humbly as honor to God, as Jesus was mistreated. So we'll be mistreated. And yet we're going to love our enemies and forgive those who spitefully use us and mistreat us. That's who we are. Microaggression, macroaggression, I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. Amen. Isn't that a better way to live? That's who we are. Don't get caught in the victimization. It just is so life-sucking. So self-centered. Let's be God-centered. others Okay, now. Well, that's good enough. So, as you come down, Come down thankful that Jesus has paid the price for every word, attitude, and action that's ever come out of you and dishonoring those around you. You're cleansed, you're forgiven, and you're being restored. And as you come down here, you're saying to Jesus, as you take his blood in his body, saying, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to honor those who have even dishonored me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Will you come down now and receive? And if you need prayer, the prayer teams will be in the corner. Otherwise, you can come back and worship, or you're free to go and be the light of the world. You can have it all. Every part of my